Welcome, this is the Noco Moto Podcast, episode number 184 or 85. One of those two. Anyway, I'm your host, Moto G Pete, and with me is your other host, Swiggy. Yep. Coming to you from Noco Moto headquarters, which is Moto One Podcast Network Studios recording suite A. You might have noticed I haven't been talking about the president of the Moto One Podcast Network recently. And that's because... We were under court order not to because a few months ago I walked in to his office and the president was having sex with Tobor, which is why you haven't been hearing him on creative writing all that often either. There was a big lawsuit. Tobor was working on the side as a Japanese sex robot, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, president... I was being sued a bunch of money, and we're allowed to talk about it now. So that's where that went. Okay, Swigs, what are we going to talk about this episode? We are going to talk about a bunch of things that we just need to talk about. There's been some news items. There's been what I felt was a really eventful round of MotoGP. And, of course, we've got Best Worst Bikes. So what do you say we don't lose any time and we just – oh, wait. Actually, no, before that one order business. I asked people last week to put in reviews on Spotify and like 15 people did and a whole bunch of visibility things happened on the internet. So I know there are hundreds of you, more than hundreds of you listening on Spotify. If you could go ahead and do that more, please, that would be really great for the show. It's super easy. Spotify doesn't even let you type something. They only let you hit a number of stars on the mobile app anyway. So while you're listening, you don't even have to stop listening. Just look for the little icon underneath the show logo with the star, the empty star, and hit it, and it'll let you fill out five stars. The stars have to be white for them to count. Okay, so cool. We got that out of the way. Let's do best worst bike. What do you say, Swigs? Let's do it. Okay, so we have each picked two motorcycles. One is the best bike in the world this week, and one is the worst bike in the world this week. We don't know what each other have chosen. It's a surprise. It's just a fun way to look at a couple different bikes in a way that you might not normally have looked at them before, but we're probably going to hurt some people's feelings. So send your butthurt feelings to contact at nokomotopodcast.com or, I don't know, Go fuck yourself. But no, seriously, do send them. We like going back and forth with you anyway. Swigs, you have best bike in the world this week. I do. And are you ready to reveal it? I am. Okay. And the best bike in the world this week is? The 1989 Honda NSR 250R. I think we've done this one before. I don't think we have. I'm pretty sure. So this is, yeah, this is, uh, we've done the 400. I feel like we've done the 200. Maybe we haven't. Okay. I don't know. Tell me. All right. So this is essentially the street legal version of, well, it's a couple, it's a couple steps removed. It's, it's sort of the, the second cousin of 
the Honda Moto 2 GP bike. So you have the, um, so there was the, uh, the the Honda NS 250R, which was the, the GP bike. Then there was the NSR 250RW, which was kind of like the works bike for kind of, um, for other homologated racing series. And then this was kind of the thing that hit the actual streets. So depending on who you believe <clears throat> and whether it's measured at the crank or the wheel, the stats for this are 45 to 52 horsepower out of a 249cc two-stroke V-twin. Uh, the whole thing is 290 pounds dry. And besides that, it comes in some of the raddest paint schemes you have ever seen in your life. So this is really vindicating for me. If you look up a couple things, especially this week on uh, MCN or Ride Apart, there are multiple stories, especially if you go back two or three months, of 90s exotic sport bikes still in the crate going for upwards of thirty, forty, and $50,000. So the new cool thing is collecting mint 90s exotic bikes. I think we predicted that in like the first 18 episodes of this show. I think it was in, within the first 10. Like four years ago, we I, I believe that I said about four years ago that we were within five years of this happening. I'm pretty sure. Because if you look up the value on one of these four years ago, it is not what it is today. Not well, it, even close. It will depend on what you actually get. Because um, this is like the totally street legal version. So there's there, there's a lot of things that kind of go under the NSR name. And it could be anything from like this sort of 45 horsepower street legal bike to a works bike or to a GP bike that makes double a horsepower. Right, but they're all stupid money. I'm sure they are. I've, I've, I think if you got one of these in the crate, it, it would be worth silly money. And I think should. just in good condition, there's no way you're finding something gray market and exotic like this, like a Honda two-stroke V-twin sports bike. Sandcast as well. Yeah, th- this this has to be every bit of $20,000. Yeah. This, is, this is from the time when like GP race bike motors were sandcast. Right. Like, just utterly ridiculous. And I think it is basically the same motor minus a few parts uh, or you know, a few parts swapped out. But this is kind of in the days, because you know, especially in like the two-stroke days, they basically made the race versions the same way that like GM made boat motors, where it's basically just double the horsepower and cut the warranty down to a tenth. Right, you know, cut cut the cut the expected service life to one tenth, and and yeah. then you're good. <laughs> That's a very reliable boat motor. Well, <laughs> as yeah, far as for boat, boat motors, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I love the the straight up competition fairings on this. I love the 
less than super comfortable looking big old fat ass seat. I love I love the headlight, which is just an afterthought. Just, oh, we better cut a hole in the race fairing here and jam a light in. Yeah. But look at some of these schemes. They, oh, yeah. They are awesome. When you talk about that 90 styling rule of all the tail and the paintwork needs to point towards the uh, the front disc, like everything on this is textbook. Mm. And there are some great ones with like some uh, with some proper racing decals. I kind of like that green and silver one. Um because it, it does a very, very subtle because this is um this I mean 1989, this is still kind of in the early days of of the uh the Honda power wing that we know today. And Honda and the Repsol bikes today and everything have a long tradition of these graphics that are almost that wing, right? It's supposed to be reminiscent of it, and it's it's always there. All the performance bikes, it's just under the surface. I mean, there's there's an actual Honda Power Sports wing on the tank of this bike, but just those stripes there, how they they scoop up just a little bit at the end, so it's like that top line just you know points right above the the front disc and the 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 line on the bottom points just below it and all swoops up to the tail oh it's great yeah i know there are some out there with some um oh this is a different one this is the sp so this is a this is a slightly different one um uh but yeah yeah they're they're yeah and there's also just something ridiculous about this bike. Like this is kind of a little bit, it's, it's kind of a grungy bike. Like it's, you know, this is well into the era of four stroke motorcycles. And then all of a sudden here's something, here's this, here's this two stroke making way more power than it should. You know, in fact, this, you know, this bike doesn't even smoke. This bike dips. well it's in that great tradition of these sport bikes of the era too where it's really unfinished yeah in front of the handlebars there's just nothing there's just empty you know like when you look at somebody's harley davidson and it kind of seems okay but then you walk around it and you realize that they bought a cheap knockoff batwing fairing and it's just a plastic shell and you can just see that on the other side and you can see the ugly light fixtures just stuck in it and there's no finish to the back of it at all. That's that's inside the cockpit of these. It's just wires everywhere, cables, lights, just stuff out there. Nothing's even like zip tied together. It's all just kind of a rat's nest. But that's how they were. Yeah. On a side note, Honda really needs to bring back the the black red and white uh fairing oh you like those okay i do i mean i'm always a sucker for the red white and blue i you know i think honda does red white and blue better than anyone else ever did it honda here's a hot take honda does red white and blue better than harley davidson oh easily yeah um yeah, there's some great things about these. These uh these we these are all great looking wheels on these bikes. It's like it's 
it's a little calm starish, but I mean, they're still proper, proper, you know, mag wheels. They're not, they're just taking styling cues from that. They've got, um, I don't know. I, I'm at a point where I've gone back to liking the look of regular forks, not inverted forks. Mm-hmm. Especially now that I understand to what level you have to push even just like 38 millimeter traditional forks to actually start failing you. Yeah. So I, yeah, I I don't need inverted forks to look cool in my life anymore. These are, these have their own special cool look for me. The old regular style forks. I, you know, um, yeah, I, I yeah, for me really the story on this is just all of these very late 80s uh all the way through the 90s exotic sport bikes are just blowing up right now. They're just the coolest shit going. Everybody wants one. And increasingly everyone's I think getting upset that they're missing the boat because everything's expensive. Should have listened to our podcast. I know. We should have listened to our podcast. We should have been buying ZX7Rs like we, like there was no tomorrow four years ago. I don't know why we didn't. Well, I think at this point you could have bought anything and tried to sell it right now and you'd be in the money, but there you go. Yeah, well, well that's true. But also, um, I, I think about this. Well, if this is what's super cool on the collector's market, right? Well, why did we just go through eight years of 1950s and 1960s style bikes because everyone was trying to collect old Triumph Bonnevilles and stuff like that and Honda CBs from the 60s and 70s. And then they all disappeared. And now everyone's trying to buy up 80s and 90s bikes, you know, while they're still, while the values are still going up, which means... We're probably about to start seeing a whole bunch of 80s and 90s retro bikes come on the market. We're going to get full fairing bikes back again. Sport bikes might be cool again. I mean, even if they're electric, it doesn't matter. Just bikes that look that way. Because uh, there's, you know, look at the the Zero um, SRS, right? Or SRR. Anyway, the fully fared sport bike one, right? Uh, there's no reason that couldn't look like a ZX7R. It's just you can put whatever the fuck you want behind the plastics. Are we going to start seeing like the uh, are we going to start seeing that um, the 1100cc parallel twin Honda motor in like an old CBR 1000F fairing? I would love that. Yes, please. That would even have very similar power to the old CB one thousand F, like the nineteen, like the nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety CBR one thousand F. You know, with all the space Ooh. savings, you could have a lot of storage on there as well. Uh, we talked about that and bringing ninety styling back in like episode four okay. or some shit. Check this out. You, you get the old Fireblade kind of the one thousand F fairing. You put the parallel twin in it. You slant it a bit. Put the fuel tank under the seat. You give it a frunk. Well, you could do that, but you, I'll I'll take you one step further. 
if you put the batteries under the seats, if you recreate the old um, uh, um, vented disc brake cover look, you can do it with hub motors and the entirety of the body can be storage. Remember how those those old like big ultra sport touring bikes all had the 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 Moto Two style and Goldwing style like vented disc brake covers mm-hmm. that didn't really work, so everyone got rid of them. Or like the benefit they provided was so minuscule, it just wasn't worth it. I'm not sure what the truth is. I need to do a deeper dive on those because Moto Two still seems to use them for some reason, but no one else does. I don't know what's up with that. I have no idea. Okay. Um, all right, cool. Do we want to keep talking more about this or move on to worse bike? I think we can move on. Okay. All right, then. And the worst bike in the world this week is... It's complicated. We're going to start with the Benelli Adiva AD200. Or just the 2011 Adiva AD200. But we're going to move through some other stuff as well. Okay, so this is hot garbage. Now, this version of it is not the worst. On the surface, what you see is basically a ripoff of the BMW C1 except it doesn't have all of the cool features of the BMW C1. If you don't remember what the BMW C1 is, it's the motorcycle that's like a car. It's the one that has the enclosed roof and the storage box on the back and the seat belts for whatever reason and the weird system that let it park upright and all that kind of stuff. Also, if you don't know what the C1 is, why aren't you watching 44 Teeth? Yes, watch 44 Teeth and you'll know all about the BMW C1. And the C1, is, as much as it's a terrible idea, has become somewhat collectible and desirable in how just insane and weird it is. And I will give BMW the credit that they really went full bonkers with the C1. This is a much watered-down version. And that's part of the problem. So it looks just like a BMW C1, right? We've got the roof canopy. We've got a box on the back, although it's not removable, uh, which was an issue with the BMW C1. That could let you put a uh, passenger on the back facing backwards if you wanted to. Which I always loved the idea of. Uh, No, this just has a trunk built into the back of it, which on the surface, I think is a wonderful idea. Okay, if you just want to have a scooter, which has a proper just built in trunk, there's no under seat storage. We've just moved it all behind you and you've got a proper big backrest. Go for it. God bless. Okay, but we've got a problem here. The the trunk on this bike is useless 50% of the time, possibly, because this is a convertible motorcycle or scooter, whatever way you want to look at it. That roof 
unclicks and folds into the trunk on the back. <sighs> okay. Um, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Why does it need to do that? Um, so so they, the marketing for this bike said, oh, you've got the protection of a car because this is around the time of the BMW C1. This came out in like 2008 or some shit like that. Um, but you don't, because if you watch a YouTube video of someone operating the roof of this bike, it has about the thickness and the wobble to it of like a Costco clear storage container lid. I mean, not a Walmart one, but like a Costco one. It's a little stiffer, but it ain't, it ain't holding up shit, right? It is not reinforced. You do not have a cage. Also, it's what? Maybe 10 and a half inches wide. It's not going to stop a lot. It's not stopping a lot. Now, in fairness, the windshield is massive and that probably does stop a meaningful amount of stuff, but it's like, why not just make it a single reinforced piece? Hey, why not make it a single reinforced piece? And then someone, if they choose to can roll a piece of cloth across the top or zip it to it. (gasps) then you could actually provide some extra sort of crash safety if you wanted to. And if you wanted to have the roof open on your convertible motorcycle, which we've now said for the third time and doesn't sound less weird, um, you wouldn't be sacrificing all of your storage area, right? Now, you would think, okay, this is a completely bonkers idea for a scooter. We don't this is enough to condemn this bike, but this isn't the worst thing about this bike. Not even close. So this bike doesn't exist anymore. I know. Shocker. Shocker, Right. (laughs) But it doesn't. What exists is, well, first of all, it was called the Benelli Adiva AD 200. And Benelli wasn't even a real company. Someone had bought, you know, Benelli was a shell corporation, right? But even the imaginary Benelli took their name off of this, and it just became the Adiva AD1200. So, Swigs, I need you to look up the what is now currently available, the Adiva AD1200, and you'll see how the story gets oh so much grosser. So I'm waiting for you to bring it up, and we'll see this this reaction. I can't wait for it. Doc Christ, they, yeah, they've done it. They've done it. Uh, it's a fucking three wheeler, <laughs> but it is it is not just any three wheeler. It is the worst three wheeler. So aggressively in the marketing, they say that it has, and this is right off the um, the the Adiva website. Three pleasures of Adiva. So number two is comfort, the super the superb comfort care and variety of equipment not available on two wheelers. Um. Uh, this thing has no fucking special equipment 
whatsoever. The only special equipment it has is they've kept this insane retractable roof, which has not gotten any larger or better designed or more durable. It is still flimsy plastic bullshit. Now, it seems the rear storage has gotten a little bit bigger now that you can put two half helmets in it. You might be able to put full face helmets in it, but I, it doesn't look like it. It looks like it takes two half helmets side by side. But again, that's of questionable value. Um, but let's talk about how it has... Not just the joy, which is what they claim it has... The three-wheeled mechanism offers tremendous peace of mind. This is the third pleasure of a diva. So they're pushing, if you read, if you read through, they're pushing this idea that it has double the grip up front of a two-wheeled bike, which we know it doesn't have. Not only that... Well, you probably will have double the grip because you'll be terrified to go at any speed on this bike. Well, so you should be terrified to go at any speed on this bike, and I'll explain why. If you look at, and you really should go to adivaworld.com and check this out, Swigs, the mechanism by which the two-wheel drive works up front is distinctly different than you've seen it work on anything else. And it works the way that it does because it's cheaper to make. The suspension unit is what they call a double wishbone. Both wheels use one shock, and that shock is mounted horizontally between the two wheels with arms above and below them. So... Like a Piaggio MP3, if you walk away from it, it will just fall over. The thing is, theoretically... Okay. It has like four inches of suspension travel is the problem. Like, I understand this works, but this only works if it has the stiffest suspension and only for a few inches. This does not have a full range of suspension. They're like, oh, you can hit a pothole and the other wheel's there to cancel. It does all the lies that the Nikan gives you, right? But the knee, the two Nikan wheels do move completely independently. The problem with this is that for one wheel to go up, the other has to go down. Right? Yeah, that's kind of a problem. So so if you are driving this in a perfectly straight line, you have no suspension. You have to be turning in order for this suspension to work. Yeah, that's... We're also going to need that suspension because with three wheels, you're going to hit every pothole. Right. So, <laughs> so I, the only reason I can think that they went with this design is it must be significantly cheaper than doubling up on your forks, right? Oh, I'm sure it is. And it has to be cheaper because this thing only cost five and a half thousand dollars US. I looked it up. I looked them up for sale. 
and I did the yen conversion, and it's five and a half thousand dollars, even with the current horrendous exchange rates. So we're talking. So it makes sense when you take a closer look because it looks very modern, and they talk about all this tech. But let's look at the gauges. Well, it's very easy to look modern these days when everything is covered in plastic anyway. Right. But the gauges aren't TFT. They are, they are old school LCD, which I actually don't have a problem with. It's It's very 80s. It's just kind of freshened up to look modern because it has blue lights behind it instead of just, you know, black or green or whatever, right? But it's a calculator screen is what you've got on these two dials. And that's fine, but that's what it is, right? The the one of the features is called lights expressing modernity, which just means it's three or four different pieces of clear plastic with little extra wavy bits in them for no reason. Oh, but they're LEDs. Yeah, LEDs are cheaper. I'm not shocked by this. Okay. Lastly, if you look at the styling for the face of it, it looks like a knockoff of Gundam Wing. It's not even Transformer. It's like a level cheaper than that. It's like it's like if Jerry Bruckheimer's cousin made a GoBots movie. Is the look <laughs> for this, right? And it looks like a startled Decepticon. And this is the final damning thing for me with this machine. The, looking at this machine and really staring at it for a good amount of time, I finally figured out why the Transformers insect look is persisting in cheap motorcycles and why expensive motorcycles are already ditching it. Well, just looking at the face of this motorcycle, like the whole Transformers part of it, I can already spot like six things that I have seen on Alibaba. Like this is a, the most of the face of this motorcycle is parts bin. Well, it, there is that, but I, I know why I'm not talking about these specific parts, why this look in general is popular on all this Chinese stuff why it's popular on all these cheap bikes and expensive bikes were into it initially kind of for this reason, but because everything cheap has adopted this and is not going anywhere anytime soon, expensive bikes are going back to a sleek look. Think about like the, the Ducati V4, right? It's gone very much back to a nice sleek look. Panel fit. You don't have to fucking worry about panel fit when you do the Transformers look. You can just have weird bits of plastic just end abruptly. You could have weird lines and creases in between stuff. You have, believe it or not, it is way cheaper to make lots of little bits of plastic parts than one nice big one. Mm -hmm. And that is why the Transformers look is in. Because it's cheap, because panel fit is hard. That's the entirety of it. And this is, yeah. I mean, nothing comes together cleanly on this. Everything just ends with open space 
and a weird face look to it that just distracts you from the fact that nothing comes together cleanly. And I, yeah, it just became obvious to me. I was like, Oh, of course it finally makes sense to me. People don't think this is cool. This is just what is. (sighs) Yeah. Which, which two pieces are you going to measure the fitment of? When it's just when there's like eight thousand lines on the front of this motorcycle, yeah, and of course across the rest of it, it's just it's all based on like a two thousand dollar scooter with three thousand dollars worth supposedly of dressing up, but this is a two hundred cc scooter that makes fifteen horsepower and eleven foot pounds of torque. Which is fine for a 200 single cylinder, two valve, uh, four stroke bike. That's absolutely acceptable, if not decent numbers. No problems there. But it doesn't have significantly more storage. Half the time that storage is useless. I, I don't know where the other $3,000 is going on this bike. I guess you have this gigantic windshield. It does legitimately have a huge windshield, which honestly is going to be doing upwards of 90% of the work of deflecting the rain, not this ridiculously silly roof that's just eating up your storage space. And you can't get rid of it. You can't take it off. I, I, I don't know. Maybe you can. I do, wonder it, but how, I, I do wonder how stable and rigid that windscreen is when the roof is disconnected. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, or how much more stable it would be if it just extended all the way back and you could zip or unzip a piece of canvas to the top of it. I Did nobody raise their hands with that idea? I, like, hey, we could make this a lot simpler, guys. A lot simpler. <laughs> um, now, they do sell this in like a 300, a 400, maybe even a 500, but I... I never thought I would see something that made me go, oh, I I would just go for the Piaggio MP3 and have the real deal. Yeah, there's there's kind of been a bit of a thing with Italian three-wheelers lately. And I don't know. So most of the videos you find of this are weirdly like English speaking expatriates somewhere in Southeast Asia who are like, Oh, I just want to show you a video of this like really cool like thing. And, and they all push the, the extra safety of the front wheels, which is not real, not a real thing. Uh, every video you find of it in motion, you can see the front, like the, when they go to the handlebar view, the handlebars just bouncing like nobody's business because it has no real front suspension. It only has suspension. If you're turning, it's insane. I go and watch any other moto vlog video. And you'll notice that the handlebars just kind of seem to sit there magically and smoothly because they've got forks. They've got hydraulic forks. If you, if you look at a video 
um, and you, if you look at the back of this, you'll see the back wheels going up and down like crazy constantly as it's riding and the body is stable. But then when they move to a shot of the front wheels, you see the wheels stable, like, but like in relation to the bike, but the whole thing is jumping up and down together. Like, albeit only a couple inches, but that is enough to drive you fucking crazy. Like, you can just see it in the video. It, uh, there's only one video I found that has an extensive ride review, but it's all in Japanese, and I couldn't understand it. You know, I kind of feel like when it comes to Italian engineering, um, you know, when Moto Guzzi really nailed the rear suspension and like kind of revolutionized a lot of suspension for motorcycles, that was like that was like them shorting Enron. It was kind of like their big moment. And then ever since then, it's been like them shorting Tesla after the fact. Everyone's like, it's totally gonna work. Do you remember Enron? They've got this. I and they don't. Personally, I blame TED Talks. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Elaborate. So, like fifteen years ago, roughly, yeah, uh, the the world was introduced to what a TED Talk is when they released like years worth of 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 seminars. I mean, because, like, whatever happened to the word fucking seminar, by the way? Like, it's a TED Talk. Like, fuck you. It's it's a seminar. It's been around for hundreds of years. It's just a fucking... Just because you've got a Steve Jobs clicker in your fucking hand and there's a laptop on a stand next to you doesn't fucking change the fact that it's a goddamn seminar. Anyway, so... uh, all these TED Talks come out, people are like, oh my God, this is blowing my mind. And people would like binge watch them, like, oh, my mind's being blown all night. I'm going to be late for work tomorrow, right? And so we became used to this idea that everything could be mind-blowing, that everything had to be this new innovation. Just simple quality in and of itself wasn't good enough anymore. Everything had to be seen to be progressive and taking this next unexpected step to show us some future that we hadn't thought of before, when plenty of things have been figured out very well. Plenty of things there's a 50-year-old version of that's still just fine, right? To to the point that I, I in podcasts I hear ads all the time for new office chairs, right? I really don't believe there's been a big improvement in chair technology for a long ass time. Well, I don't know if we fully explored all of our options for sitting yet. <laughs> <laughs> Right, we're yeah. we're still kind of new at this. It's like I became aware of this idea it, when I was like nine or something, and I can't remember who said it, but someone said to Granddad at the grocery store, like we were at Tesco's or something, and they're like, "But this detergent's new and improved." And Granddad just lost his shit, and he goes, "It's been new and improved every week for the last fifty years. The shit ought to be so bloody brilliant by now that your clothes are clean forever." And I was like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, right." And, <laughs> you know, and this is a nineteen ninety something. He was just like in front of kids, like this shit's so <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it so. 
this is just another example of that. This is just taking this three-wheeled Piaggio MP3 concept to like Southeast Asia where they're like, well, check it out. A new suspension system that no one's thought of, you know, but I'm sure I'm sure there's a booth for this at like the AIM Expo or whatever, and it just gets more attention than it deserves. Right? And I'm sure there's a company out there that's like, oh, we're like a diva with their their two wheels up front. We got two wheels in the back as well, so we're four wheels. Oh, that already exists. Like, it's called Cooter. Oh, I know. Yeah, <laughs> Cooter. <laughs> um, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. The the nothing is wrong with just having two wheels and a high quality spring suspension in the back. You know, shock spring suspension in the back and decent forks up front there's nothing broken about that why don't you just focus on having nicer forks uh you know and like this is what's brilliant about ssr in sharp contrast right ssr went well there's nothing wrong with 90s motorcycle technology for dirt bikes we're just going to now have access to the kind of machinery that only Honda and Kawasaki had back then. And we can bring it to you cheaper now, but all, but there's nothing, there was nothing wrong with those bikes. Yeah. It's essentially taking a lot of the nineties and early two thousand stuff and saying, here you go. You can have this totally adequate technology at a reasonable price and get up to date parts support. Yeah, and what shocks me that uh, about how much of this is prevalent in motorcycles is that as as a as a group, motorcyclists are, tend to like really savor the past. So, uh, you know, this sort of like neato, oh, you didn't expect the future, but here it is, sort of stuff is happening mostly in the electric space. Oh, it's happening a lot there. Right. Uh, I mean, just hold on to your fucking pants for when the electric manufacturers discover three-wheel concepts. Oh, they have. They have. They have. They definitely have. I have seen so many electric three-wheelers. I I think at some point, like, we're going to get an electric six-wheeler or a five-wheeler, and they're still going to call it a motorcycle. Well, it's not even like whether I don't even know what a five-wheeler would look like, but they're going to make it. For me, it's not even whether or not it's a motorcycle. To me, it screams a giant lack of creativity. It describes a step backwards, not forwards. Because people have been trying to sell this idea of three-wheeled motorcyclists since like the 1940s this there's nothing fucking new about this there's nothing new about this double wishbone suspension in the front of this bike there's nothing new about the suspension in the Niken. there's nothing new about the piaggio mp3 there's nothing new about any of there's nothing new about the polaris slingshot there's nothing new about any three-wheeler like the first fucking car i think was a three-wheeler like it the I'm reading a book about the history of motorcycles. And in like 1904, there was a race in like Kamazawa Park or Yoyogi Park or one of those two featuring a two-wheeled motorcycle, a three-wheeled motorcycle, and a four-wheeled motorcycle. 
like those that was like the first automobile race in Japan. It like before 19 fucking 10. Like it there's nothing new about it in any way shape or form. It's just like people seem to forget like oh well we want to make motorcycles but like how do we get car people to buy them? Add wheels. And it's been done to death. Like if someone came up, if I was a billionaire and someone said like, hey, I want you to invest in my idea of adding wheels to motorcycles to sell them. I'd be like, open up a fucking history book and count how many times this has not worked. Like ever, ever. It's not that I'm not giving three wheelers a chance. It's that three wheelers have been given way too many chances. And the only one that I know to have worked in any large scale way is the Honda Gyro. That's the only one. And that's why I want that one. Yeah, it it it's it seems like a mistake that we make about as frequently as the concept of using opioids for painkillers. It's it just kind of comes around every now and then, and it's, and we just have to endure it. I guess so. Yeah. So there you go. the The Adiva eighty one two hundred. If you needed another reason to talk about how three wheelers are dumb, how cheap transformer design is dumb, how to give a vehicle a bunch of convenient storage space and then ruin it to how you can take Neato factor and ruin your front suspension to uh, all kinds of things. I, you know, I've never thought about this before, but whenever someone shows off these things and they're like, oh, well, you've got all this extra grip on your front wheels and stuff, right? Does anyone ever raise their hand and go, well, doesn't this even like further increase your chance of one of the tires going flat though? It's not like you can limp at home with two tires. You don't have room for a spare like you do on a Vespa where you've still only got two fucking tires. It's just a liability. Yeah. And and again, if you Okay, I'm just I just want to explain this. You're also more last thing. You're also more likely to hit a nail or something in the road. That's what I said. Yeah, Yeah. you're more likely to to have a flat. I I just want to explain this one thing. Um, when I say that that the two wheels does not double traction, so you are splitting the amount of force that you're putting down to the ground, the weight that you're pressing. Right. So so part of your grip is the is how hard you're pressing it. Right. Like if you just, you know, let's say just like um, just lean a pencil down, like just hold a pencil just on its own weight, your racer side down on a table and then flick it with your finger. Right. Well, the 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 pencil go flying across the room. Now make a grip around that pencil and hold it down like as hard as you can and flick it with your finger. It's going to hurt your nail. That pencil ain't fucking going anywhere, right? That force that you're pressing down on your tires into the road is part of your grip. So if you do that with two tires, you're splitting that grip between the two. Each one of those only has half the grip. 
Except now try take that pencil and hold it down at the table as hard as you can at a 45 degree angle. Does not have the grip that it did when you were pushing it straight down. So the reason that you have slightly more grip with two wheels is that when the bike tips over, let's say you're turning left, the wheel that was on your left side kicked out to the side is now directly underneath you. So you're pressing it down a little bit more squarely. The wheel that's on the outside has no fucking grip whatsoever. It's not there to catch you. It will not catch you. Yeah, there's that. There's also um, the fact that the way that tires work isn't like some ideal, you know, physics equation. It's very messy because a lot of where the grip from tires comes from is the rubber pressing down in between the cracks in the asphalt. So, and there's this weird non-Newtonian um, mechanic to it with how hard rubber gets when it's got pressure on it. So it doesn't really behave in any way that like this model really supports. Otherwise, we would see Nikon's like outlapping um, like MT09s, but we don't see that. Right. Yeah. It's it, it's it's a ridiculous thing. Uh, but also, I asked this question. Um, do 200 cc scooters have such an excess of horsepower that they're just washing out their front wheel? Are people riding them so aggressive in urban situations that they're losing front wheel traction? I've never heard of a case of this. I don't know, Peter. I think you can talk from personal experience here, actually. That was off road. Okay. <laughs> this is an urban commuter. Okay. I, no. Again, I still don't think I lost the fr- I've ever lost the front on the Vespa. Lost the back plenty of times, but that was on questionable tires in mud. Okay, uh, yeah. So uh, I will I will admit this probably does have slightly more grip, um, but slightly more. And for what? Like the 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 addition of extra weight. Why do you want that unsprung extra weight up front? I I that's gonna you know that that's not an advantage. I think you're making this bike for that extra grip. I think that all that grip is lost once you run into a situation which you need more than a few inches of front suspension travel. If your suspension bottoms out, uh, you got major grip problems. So anyway, all right, whew, I'm calming down. I, but this is this is terrible. This thing. All right, uh, should we move on to some news items? Uh, let's take a quick break and then move on. Yeah. Okay. Okay, we're back. So this show can't go on another moment until we talk about the Kawasaki Goat. Okay. So, Swigs, you have no knowledge of this. If you just... So, it's called Bex, because I guess it's supposed to be an Ibex, which is a goat. Um, and I just tell me if I'm, if I'm selling this wrong, misdirecting, but Kawasaki made a robot goat. 
hang on a minute. Isn't this just the like the Boston Dynamics dog? That's one of the questions I had. Uh, I <laughs> there's a lot to 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 talk about here. So, bring it up on the big screen. It's um, so I. For some reason, the entire motorcycle world is talking about this robotic goat, which, yes, uh, you could describe this as Asimo with four legs. You could describe this yeah, as the, the Boston robotics dog. But I guess the big uh, difference yeah. here is that this one has a like, like if there was a goat like as a playable character in Virtual Fighter, that's what we're looking at. <laughs> Like, what was the virtual fighter character that was just plain like uncolored polygons? Uh, Dural. Dural. Right. If Dural was a goat, that's what we're looking at. <laughs> Isn't Dural like like one of those things? It was like someone's name backwards or something. It was no. Dural was one of the unlockable characters, and Dural's name is actually the abbreviations of what you had to press on the menu screen. Because you have to press down, up, right, A, ah, left. Okay. Excellent. Good. Am I nice good or am save. I good? Nice save, Swix. Oh, yeah. Everyone course, thinks they're fancy remembering A-B-A-C-A-B-B. We're taking it to the fucking Sega Saturn, bitches. Yeah. Unfortunately, nobody will relate because nobody else owned a Sega Saturn. So. I, yeah, but we sure as shit did. We were all in on Sega. We had a Sega CD. We had the, um, what was the, 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 the 32X? The, the 32X. Yeah. The bit that would just like fuck the Genesis. And then, um, <laughs> We had this, although we never went Dreamcast. Everyone's favorite failed. <laughs> favorite failed console you did go back and buy um a master system at one point oh yeah 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 i are i still love sega sega is my favorite video company video game company ever but the master system was not as good as the nes it was not is better than you'd think but it was not as good as the nes anyway so kawasaki made a robotic goat now um we're not sure why. I, I So they mentioned something like it could be really great for traversing rough terrain, like uh, like a sort of like mountain rescue or perhaps subway rescue. So is this sort of encringing on the turf of the, the Yamaha Zero? I don't know. I mean... Okay, so Kawasaki did make this, but Kawasaki makes a lot of shit. Is this yeah. really a motorcycle story? Well, that's so we. I'm only talking in the way that everyone ha ha that doesn't have a valid opinion on the Chris Rock Will Smith bullshit. This is like motorcycling's like Chris Rock slap right now. <laughs> everyone has to weigh in on this fucking goat, and I'm unclear. Also, like like I said, like the tenuous line i drew to motorcycles was is this going to be the new vehicle for japan's rescue motorcycle corps well it's like if you're into cars do you have to have an opinion on like sobs fighter jet i don't <laughs> think you do yeah like, or the subaru attack helicopters yeah i uh, i don't know if it factors in or not 
I I don't know either, but it, but you know, it's also just fun to talk about. You know, it's like, oh, what else happened in the news? Well, Kawasaki made a robotic goat, and this is if you're gonna do, just, why just, does it need to be a goat to anyone out there? Understand. To anyone out there that feels that they need to weigh in on Bex, the Kawasaki robotic goats. It it there is one very 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 important piece of this puzzle that I feel a lot of people are failing to report, and that's that you can ride the goat. So the only other sort of tenuous thing about it is it kind of has handlebars like a motorcycle, and you <laughs> ride it like a motorcycle. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but the the whole goat shape is really very arbitrary. Yeah, it doesn't seem intrinsic to the design. I mean, to the point that it walks around on what looks like tennis balls. It, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, uh, it, I, uh, well, you know, like when. Uh, uh, Yamaha made the self-riding bike and all that other stuff and BMW did and we couldn't figure out why well, the fuck they were making it like to what end and then we mind, realized Yamaha, it was to simulate racing and crash data let, let's remember that Yamaha didn't create a self-riding motor a self-driving motorcycle they created a robot Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the robot's way more valuable because then you can make any motorcycle a self-riding motorcycle, right? That's way more valuable to me. That I think BMW made a system they could apply to any motorcycle as well. It was like Is this servo a feature motors, where, like, if you want to have your... Well, I guess so. That would be a great feature. Says I'm tired of riding. And you've just got a motor. You've just got a robot riding pillion with you the whole time, and it's like, hey, let's switch. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's your autopilot. <laughs> the Moto West Coast turnaround. Uh, okay, sure. Okay. Um, yeah. So okay. So that was that. Um, I mentioned previously some news stories about. Uh, Created motorcycles from the 90s going for ridiculous prices. What else? Let's just kind of cruise some news websites here and just kind of give our take. Because I just noticed there was a lot of insane stuff. Um, Like, uh, for example, Super 73, I think I saw, is putting out a real electric motorcycle, not a sort of bicycle electric bike hybrid, which is a curious move for me. Because they've kind of been making a name for themselves in this really nice little niche market. I mean, you know, God bless them for trying different things. But it's a, I, I don't know. I would want to talk to Super 73 about why that makes sense. Um, I haven't seen a picture of the bike. Which is a problem. I should, I should have at least looked up what it fucking looks like. But, um... I don't know. What what do you see that you want to talk about? Uh I don't know. This is your idea. I I am Oh, I've got news stories we can go for. I just don't want to like, you know. Let's 
Uh, well, something we we should talk about that I think we're totally vindicated on is the fact that people are marking up and reselling Honda Navis. Yes. Okay. So this was sparked because I sent you a Craigslist ad for a motorcycle shop eight miles from where I'm living for a Honda Navi selling a uh, a used Honda Navi. It had like 40 miles on it or something selling for $3,333. This isn't theoretical. This isn't something off of Reddit. This is miles from my house. An $1,800 bike going for nearly twice MSRP at the dealership. Not on Craigslist. It was on Craigslist, but it was listed by a dealership. And it wasn't just like a picture of a Navi. It was a picture of a specific Navi parked in front of this dealership. And it wasn't a mislisting of a Grom. Like, they gave all the specs of a Navi. Huh? Now, you said you'd done, like, some more digging into it, and, like, Navis are just sold out or something? Yeah, I was looking around, uh, and it's really hard to find one in Colorado right now, at the very least. Um, And even I just went on eBay Motors, and they're kind of... It's not as much well proportionally it's basically the same markup you're finding them on ebay for as groms were when groms first came out yeah so part of it was inevitable but i mean i mean part of this has to be supply chain problem right yeah but still i no one expected $1,800 scooters that look like Groms to just sell out, right? Yeah. Well, also, you have to keep in mind, like, they can't be putting these in standard size crates. Like, you must be able to get, like, twice as many of these in the back of a a semi than you can any other bike. Oh, yeah. You got to be able to get, like, four of these per pallet or something. Yeah. 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 It's weird. Yeah. It's real weird. Uh, so, okay. Yeah, yeah. Navis are selling out. I mean, every, it's no secret. We're not We're not blowing the lid off anything that like, oh, used bike prices are out of fucking control. Like Claire's um, Honda Rebel that's almost a year old now is worth 500 bucks more. Like, I think if she traded it in, she could just trade it in for what she, she bought it for. You know, as I've been, I've been thinking about this. Um, you know, when it comes to the Navi, it does make a lot of sense when you think about it. Like, if you're going for just like a beginner-friendly, intuitive bike that's not highway capable, how much of the the audience of and not talking like like motorcycle YouTube channels and and journalists of the actual target market how many people would noticeably 
care to distinguish between a Navi and a Grom. Probably not that much. Yeah. So it does make a lot of sense that they would sell out like that. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's bizarre to see like keep in mind this is a discontinued motorcycle in India. Oh, is it discontinued in India? I thought it was still for sale in India. I think they discontinued it like a little while not long ago. Um but yeah, it well, I mean, it's, so it's made so it's it's a hero Honda collaboration, the 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 scooter that it's based off of. Yeah. So this doesn't come from China. So I mean, there's still just a massive you know holdup on shipping in general. But this isn't even the specific Chinese shipping problem. So I, it's just curious. I I don't know. I but what I do like is. Like the five people on the internet who were haters on the Navi, they were so fucking wrong. We <laughs> like so many of us were like, this is going to be a massive hit. And there were like six whiners who were louder than they should have been going, oh, why is everyone so excited about the Navi? This thing looks fucking dumb. Like, eat shit, you assholes. Look how much everybody obviously loves this adorable, super practical, affordable, gas-sipping little thing, okay? Is the answer to so many people's problems. Why don't you want people to be happy? So, yeah, I don't know. That feels good to me, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, also in the news... Uh, here's a bit of sad news. The complete asshole CEO of Norton that ripped off all those people's um, pensions uh, pensions like last year, commuted sentence. He just basically got off the hook. He's not doing any jail time. Just that. So Norton isn't back. It's fake Norton. The CEO's a dickhead. The company's a piece of shit. Fuck it. Like, don't take, like, I don't, I don't know. I can't wait until we just get all of these defunct and abused classic motorcycle brand names and they all just get converted into NFTs. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> They're going to do it like 10 years after everybody else has like packed up their last NFT scam. But, it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I think that's the final evolution of of the uh of the fake motorcycle relaunch. Okay. Um I don't know other news stories. Let's see here. Um BMW, I guess some people have spotted that BMW is a uh, leaked out someone's leaked out or seen patents for registers for um 13 and 1400 gs's or whatever i i don't care like oh the 1250s going up 50 cc's uh, what a shocker I, I don't know a bike that has only gotten bigger since it was a 900 like every few years like clockwork i haven't tested this but i have a strong suspicion that the uh 
the the GS uh, displacement is just tracking inflation. Hmm. I mean that's that is kind of a an adventure bike move at this point. Tracking inflation. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, uh, Harley's gonna uh, finally admit that the new Sportster is just that custom bike that we all saw years ago. That's a non-story. Um, let's talk about some MotoGP news before we talk about the race. So uh, for like the last 10 days or so up, up to Argentina, people were talking about a new rule being instituted in MotoGP, but it's not even effective until next year and that is MotoGP is banning ride height devices on the front suspension so anyone who hasn't been paying attention in MotoGP they you know there was the whole shot device which is like the whole shot devices used in um on dirt bikes and and shit and then um not last year maybe the year before I think Ducati started putting on a rear ride height device because Ducati Corsa is full of cheat wizards who I'm in love with and I would love to study under like as like a Padawan learner on these new and creative ways to bend and break rules. Gigi Delinia, I Gigi Delinia could just probably take over Mark Garagos's legal service and no one would notice a change. Right. The way he's able to dodge in and out of rules and regulations, bylaws, just anything. He he's I mean, forget Teflon Don. He's just the slippery fish there's ever been, right? The slipperiest. So if you're not familiar, years ago we had this thing with winglets. Well, it's with everything. It's with the rear spoilers. It's with everything that Ducati wants. It's a launch device the whole shot device every time ducati adds something to the bike that there isn't an explicit rule about they they make sure that they have two or three other things to add on to it as fast as they can so before they can even complain about the first thing they go wait a minute what's this other shit you're adding to the bike so when they finally say no they've gotten they 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 have secured the things that they want. It's like when Quentin Tarantino puts scenes in his movies that are so violent, he knows they're going to be taken out, but that means he can keep the violent scenes that he wanted because he knows they're going to take out something, right? So keep your keep the violent scenes that you want and make something that's even more violent. <laughs> this is the Ducati strategy. So. They didn't just go like, well, we know these rear ride heights are super questionable, right? It's probably, this is probably what was in the fucking salad box the whole time, right? And they added one for the front as well. So it wasn't something that just held down your front forks on the start straights. It could actively adjust the ride height at the front, like turn by turn, I guess, or whatever. But that's insane. And I'm questionable and it feels like it's just going to produce more liability than it's even really worth. The, the idea is that they only created it so it could be taken away instead of the rear ride height because Ducati was just working on this ride height shit in secret 
when no one else had the balls to do it. And they got theirs working. And now everyone else has rushed to put out their own ride height devices and they're breaking left and right. They're like in Argentina, at least two riders went out because of their fucking ride height devices. Uh, in round two, Bender just rode with his back seat, like just stuck up in the air the whole time, which is why he didn't win the fucking race. Right. I, I'm wondering, yeah, is this, is this just because the, the Ducatis have been very inconsistent so far this season, like wildly inconsistent. I'm wondering, are the Ducatis just like becoming like fighter pilot cockpits with just like a million fucking buttons and no rider is actually competent to be able to operate all the ridiculous cheating features they have built into the bike? Well, here's the weird thing. Ducati put these front ride height devices on some bikes for testing but isn't actually running any of them in any races. Like they're not even, even Ducati's not fucking with it. It's just there to be taken away. Right. And I don't think the rear ride height device is even providing that much of a benefit. I think Ducati just knew, Hey, we've been developing this and other people haven't. They're going to race to get theirs working and they're going to break and it's going to give us an advantage that way. And that other people will have faulty ones. It's not that ours are giving us that big of an advantage. <laughs> the same thing happened with winglets. Remember when Yamaha couldn't fucking decide on a winglet design and it was like changing every week. And they were like, they like everyone learned like all the rules around how many times you're allowed to change the bodywork on the bikes because Yamaha was pushing was going like can we get another bodywork change because our winglets aren't working right? Yeah, the Russians are working on mind control technology. Right. Yeah. Shouldn't we be? Shouldn't we be? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's fucking genius. I love it. It's. <laughs> it's just straight up cheating and just ducati wins my heart with this shit over and over and over again they're the greatest racing company to have ever existed and that includes those two like drug dealing guys that were like were like shipping drugs inside their race cars and crap i can't were they the something brothers anyway doesn't matter um yeah it's wonderful so i don't know let's see we're at like an hour and 15 let's talk about actual moto gp um, I guess, so we should start with, um, what happened before this Mark Marquez, it was announced shortly after we released the last podcast was not going to take place. Oh, not going to race in Argentina. And I think they said at some point today, they were going to announce if he was even going to be at Coda. So I don't know if he's going to be at Coda or not. If it has been released, it's like breaking news right now. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of doing a lazy Google for it. But I mean, at this point, everyone's talking about whether or not he should retire. Not just us. Not I mean, like everybody's talking about it. And I... I don't want to go into super detail about it because we've covered it as ad naughties at blue. We've said a lot about it. I don't have an opinion on whether or not he should retire. The, the news is just like 
it's getting serious now. And I, like, these are the darkest days Repsol Honda has ever seen. Yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, for the, for like the arm and everything, I don't think that's retire worthy, but just like the number of like concussions in quick succession is starting to get drastic. Yeah. I, he was just seeing double. I, I don't know how much better or worse he is. I, uh, I mean, there were, there were definitely times I'll admit where I was just like anybody, but Marquez, I just want anyone to win, but fucking Marquez. But I, I, I was never so spiteful. I would hope for something like this. I, you know, um, it it was it was it's oddly enough it's easier for me to imagine the sport without Valentino Rossi because it's so easy to imagine Valentino Rossi as the head of a team as just a general promoter for the sport as someone who's very easily able to be himself and a personality whereas Marquez, I'm sure, is a perfectly nice guy in his real life, but we have no idea who the real Mark Marquez is. Mm. I have no reason to think he's a douchebag, but Honda controls his image so carefully. I, I mean, I just I don't see him being a commentator. I don't see him being an ambassador for the sport outside of being an active racer. I don't see him being the head of a team, you know, I just see a great racer disappearing. And, and that's, I really don't want to see that. Um, I mean, even with Lorenzo going, I was like, well, he's going to be in the background, just doing insane things here and there. And sure enough, every few months he pops up with some insane (laughs) statement on something. (laughs) Because he's Lorenzo and he's like the least, his whole talent is that he's the least self-aware person that's ever been in the sport of motorcycling. (laughs) And it's great. Um, Yeah, I don't know. So that's my take on Mark Marquez. I I don't know what else he's going to do. So my guess is that he's not going to retire because I don't think he does know anything else to do. I think he's worth enough as a brand well we'll see either we're either we're totally fucking wrong and he's gonna recover and he's gonna come back he'll win a couple races and kind of slowly taper off or i don't think he'll ever admit that he's not fit to ride and if he's really not not okay it'll just be a honda termination uh i don't even know if they'll terminate him right away I think they'll wait for it to get really brat, really bad because he's worth too much to the brand. I think we're going to watch. Oh, a, I think we're going to watch a long, a, a drawn out self-destruction. I mean, they kind of did it to Danny Petroza. Hmm. I, I don't know because uh, so their other rider is fucking useless as well. Right. So I I always, (laughs) 
I'm less interested in the interviews with the writers on the grid and all of that than I am in just those shots of all the writers walking into into their pits. It tells you so much about what's going on, right? Like this week, Luca Marini suddenly had his own like custom branded bird scooter. It's like, oh, someone qualified well. Ooh, we got some products now associated with this rider. Like, you kind of see what's happening. It's like, hmm, this guy has no reason to, like, this guy just walked down a staircase out of a semi. Why does he have an electric scooter, right? It just tells you so much. And, you know, Mark Marquez always had people kind of trying to fawn over him and, like, take care of all his needs, make sure he was in the right mind space. You know, every time you saw Mark Marquez sit down, you know, he'd do that thing where he put his gloves and his helmet and that cubby hole thing. And he had his little ritual and he would almost always have to put up a hand to be like, no, 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 I don't need anything else. Like, you know, there's people there in close proximity just in case he needed something. Paul Espargaro looks fucking lonely. Like people like they all of Repsol Honda only has one fucking rider to worry about, and he just looks bored, sad, and lonely and abandoned in the corner. Like they're just looking at him, like they're looking at him, like, um, like, like I would imagine, like, you know, in that Johnny Cash movie where, where, um, uh, uh, like you know his dad's like the wrong kid died right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like they're bl- it's like they're taking it out on Polis Parkrow that Mark isn't there they're just like you're not Mark Marquez Mark was our favorite you're an imposter <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I get the feeling that, you know, after every race, he goes to put his shit in the locker. and There's, like, mean notes left up for him and shit, right? <laughs> it's so weird to think that, like, at the end of 2020, uh, Marquez had won the championship. Lorenzo had been winning races. And they went into 2021 with two winning riders they had the championship they had the constructors championship and they were spoiled for choice and they were going to bring alex marquez in to replace lorenzo because they were so spoiled for choice and because they had the best bike they had the best rider and they didn't have to participate in silly season look at where they are now like how quickly did that flip mm-hmm. yeah the the honda is either just mark marquez's bike and no one else's bike or it's the worst bike on the grid and both can be true um i but who but like i don't know why they chose pole other than he's basically a test rider i mean i guess i shouldn't be surprised it's been repsol honda's strategy this whole time that mark marquez holds everything up and then our other rider we basically just pick people who are just super consistent you know with their lap like they they just pick the riders that have the most consistent lap times to ride the second bike your danny petrozas your jorge lorenzos your polis bargros these are people these are riders known for just locking in perfect just repeated lap times which is what it takes to be a great test rider. 
and, and that's great. That's fine. But I mean, when this happens, you can't be all that pissed that you, you, I mean, obviously Alex Marquez was not going to be useful in that situation. Personally, I would have given Alex Marquez another year. I, why did it, you know, like, or just have the balls to say, fuck it, we'll go with it. Yeah, I, there's still the branding. It's still, I, I mean, if, you know, this is before the uh, Marquez broke his arm, but, you know, if you've got the world champion on your team, like, you're allowed to take a risk with your other rider. You yeah. can presume that the world champion is going to do well the next year. Now, it didn't work out that way, but it's still a rational move to say, fuck it, let's bring on a rookie. We've got this great marketing opportunity having two brothers on the same team. They'll talk to each other all the time. So, like, this is a great opportunity to kind of, you know, nurture a, n- a new talent who could potentially you know, continue to carry the brand forward and continue to carry the team forward. But then you pick Paul Spargaro, Mark Martinez gets injured. You don't ever replace him, even though he's basically out for a full season. And then you still hang on to Paul Spargaro. It makes no sense. Something weird's happening at Honda. But speaking of Spargaro... We've gone way too long without mentioning Polispargro finally got his fucking win. And I say bravo. Talk about a clean win with no asterisks whatsoever. Yeah. Right? Just got out in the front pack, qualified well, was the favorite all the way leading up to it. Uh, hung on to the back of the race leader with a clear strategy, pulled it out with laps to spare into the lead, held it strongly, uh, just executed perfectly. Uh, Aprilia's first win, Polispargro's first win on his 200th MotoGP class start. Uh, just what a pleasing race result. N- really awesome to see Jorge Martin in second place. We were hoping we would see more stuff like this from him real soon. We are, um, you know, uh, that a very big gap to, to third place that there's just, it wasn't wet. It wasn't weird conditions. It wasn't strange track conditions. It wasn't a new track. There's just, there is no, it's such a rock solid, clean MotoGP win. You can't say there wasn't competition. Uh, you can't. You, I mean, there was the weirdness of the delayed planes, but I. But still, it's just he had as much time to prep as everyone else, and arguably that makes his win even stronger because Aprilia definitely has less resources than other teams. Well, I think they were also the most behind of all the brands, so I think they've made the most updates to their bike which makes their data the least useful. So I think in all ways, it's totally legit. So you know more about what the kerfuffle was with the delays getting to the track. What was the exact breakdown on that? 
Uh, their plane didn't show up in their layover in Nigeria, I believe. But why? I don't know. It, it was... I don't know. All I know is that I was browsing Reddit and people were like posting like aviation maps with like flight numbers. This sounds very Reddit. Yeah. <laughs> Waiting for planes to arrive. But apparently, yeah, they and uh, in the end, I think they just chopped off um, FP3 and FP4. And those, it was everyone just got two sessions to get to qualifying. Well, didn't they not get there till Saturday morning? They just didn't have Friday practice, basically. Um, I can't remember if it was that or if they got in at like yeah, it was like yeah, they basically got in at like two a.m. on Saturday. Right. So Friday practice basically didn't happen. They got like their last. Pre- they got you know because normally there's like each. Each uh, class gets two open practices on Friday, usually. Maybe GP gets three, something like that. And then there's another practice on Saturday morning, usually. And then they do their first qualifying. Then I think... I think GP does one more... No, 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 GP doesn't do another practice before Q2. So there's three practices, and then... You have a fourth practice, but the fourth practice doesn't count towards Q1 and Q2. Uh, then, yeah, you have your qualifying, then your warm-up, then your race. But they just cut off... Um, they, they cut off the third and fourth practice sessions. Or the first and second, whichever way you want to look <laughs> at it, yeah. Um, yeah, so there was they definitely less time to prep. But again, for a team with less resources, I think that's for a smaller team that just yeah only enhances the win for for Quadraro. Um, let's Aspargo. see here, Aspargo, jeez, <laughs> Quadraro did terrible. Um, yeah, it was kind of wacky with the results. For me, the big takeaway is um, not only was it historic for Aprilia and for for um, Alicia Spargro. So here's a hot take. Um, I feel like except for Pola Spargro, Mark Marquez and Maverick Vinales, uh, the the season is going to be a three-way tie between Mark Marquez, Pola Spargro and Maverick Vinales because every other bike is on absolutely 100% equal footing. And just yeah. those are our three outliers. <laughs> Either so, that or the win will, the, or it'll be like a 19 way tie for first place. And then there'll be Polis Parkrow, Maverick Vinales and Mark Marquez. I, they're the only three riders who aren't relevant. And I feel like everybody else is equally relevant. Yeah. So there was a stat and I'll give you the non bullshit hyped up version of it which is nobody has podiumed twice so far. Yeah, I mean, it's only been three races, so that doesn't super shock me. But but I like that. Hey, we've got a really interesting season. Like, Also, two of our winners were um, the, the Grassini Ducati, or Yamaha Ducati. What are they? they? They went to Ducati, right? 
Uh, no, Team Grassini is Yamaha. Yeah. So the the first. Wait, no, 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 no. Sorry, Team. Sorry, Team Grassini is Ducati with with um, um, Bastianini. Yeah. So of our three winners so far, two of them. Well, one of them is technically a factory team, but. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i mean it is technically a factory team now but i think it's the i think it's the only factory team with concessions yeah so yeah we've got so we've got the the aprilia we've got grassini on with the ducati and uh, like two teams that you would have said could not win last year Two teams that you would be surprised if they podiumed. And not only that, Alasa Spargo is the fucking points leader. Yeah. <laughs> there are no rules anymore. All hierarchies have been flattened. Mark Marquez is nowhere. Team Grassini and Aprilia are fucking crushing it. <laughs> it's straight up fucking Harrison Bergeron in this shit. I know. Um, I mean, Quadraro just runs really hot and really cold like he always did. And like all the other Yamahas are breaking down left and right. Um, uh, KTM is having huge issues with their their rear devices or whatever. But like we've seen KTMs win. We've seen the satellite KTMs win. We've seen the Aprilia win now. Like, you know, like Bender's Bender, Brad Bender is in second place for the points. He's only four behind. You know? I again, we haven't even gotten to freaking Coda yet, so we this doesn't really mean that much. But um I mean you were saying like, you know, does anybody want to like move, you know, start inching out in front of this championship? Well, I you know, let's wait till at least like round seven to say something about that, right? But I don't know. Are we in for a season that's just tight across the board? Are we going to have like an eight-way run at the championship? I don't think we're going to see anything take any resolution to at least race six. Because I reckon Coda is going to be total chaos. Because it kind of always is. And especially if they race again without Mark Marquez, then who knows what's going to happen. Or even if Mark Marquez is there, like any crashes or whatever. I mean, so, well, let's face it. There were only ever two riders that really had a good grip on Coda because Rossi was always like on the podium there. Mm. Like, you know, it would be like, like Lorenzo Rossi and Marquez kind of had a good grip on Coda. I've never really seen anyone else consistently podium there or, you know, Vinales was never great that. Vin, yeah. Vin, yeah. Vinales may have gotten a podium there once, but that was like on a Suzuki. I think I, yeah, like, no one's really cracked it besides those three, and Marquez has cracked it so you know beyond anyone else. Yeah, that that race could go to anyone. We, I yeah. think it'd be carnage. I think a lot. I think a lot of people will be hungry at that track and see, like, 
just how flat everything is just points wise. Um, and ultimately it'll be such a mess that there's no real resolution. We won't see anyone pull ahead or anything. And then I think maybe by race five or six, we'll start to see some consistency come out and we'll start to see a story emerge. But I don't think we have anything by next race. I have like no favorite for this season. I, Me neither. I, uh, Quadraro could be brilliant. He could implode. Uh, Bastianini could show up on, on Team Grassini, and that wouldn't shock me. Uh, Pecco could get his shit together and start racing like he was at the end of last year. You know, it's only been a couple rounds. He's been a little bit off his game. He's still finishing top 10. He's still way ahead of Jack Miller, right? Um, yeah. It, also, we haven't talked about the other two people who podiumed. Fucking Jorge Martin and Luca Marini are, yeah. are, on, are second and third. And it's like not even really a story. Like, I know. The, I, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, like basically the front row finished on the podium. Or am I looking at the right? No, sorry. I'm looking at Q2. Um, it was, sorry. It, it was Jorge Martin. It was Alex Rins. Oh, that's yeah, that's yeah, right. Sorry. Rins. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, well, I mean, Rins, Rins has traditionally done what? Wins won Argentina in like 19, right? Or at least he got a podium in, in that year, I think. The year that Rins won Coda, he had, I think he had podiumed in Argentina the week before. That sounds right. Um, it's a good track for him. It did, that doesn't shock me. He was pretty far back there, though. I know he was making up time, but he was like almost two seconds behind the lead. It wasn't super close. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, I was I was overall super happy with the result. We got. Um, Let's see there. Well, let's talk about Moto2. Uh, so we have another, another, another racer who's in our, like on our podium of just best MotoGP names. Um, what was the pronunciation again? <laughs> Fermin Aldegay. All right. So he's 16. This is another one of those. Okay. This guy rocked it so hard. He's just been promoted straight up. He qualified on pole or was it second place? Where did he start? Was it on pole? I think it was. Um, One sec. It was front row in any case. And he's 16 and he's a rookie in Moto2. And hey, this is our best shot of yeah. a... Uh, of a standout rookie performance this year is, mm -hmm. is this kid right here. And, um, and he was in second or third place. Like he was holding it for what? 10 laps until, um, uh, Vietti. Um, yeah, took, um, yeah, took him out in one of the weirdest looking crashes I've ever seen. He, did like the bike did a 360 yeah so it was he was on the inside turn he was on the he was on the inside overtaking fietti who went out wide 
I mean, it didn't. He didn't set up to overtake him. He just started to overtake him because Vietti went out wide, and then Vietti kind of came back to the line. But it's you know they were both kind of leaned all the way over in that way that like neither of them would have seen each other. It was like when Lorenzo took out three people at once. Yeah, yeah. It is that it was that same phenomenon. Yeah, I I think in the end they didn't. Like at first, everyone was like, "Oh my gosh, Vietti's going to get like a ride-through penalty or something for this." But they ultimately determined it was just a racing incident. It just looked really bad. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've seen quite a lot of these. There have been quite a lot of these crashes, and they always go that way. I do feel like there should be some responsibility about going back to the racing line after you go wide. Because you, there's no way that you can actually look. And you are in a race. Like, you should be aware that there are other riders. I don't know. I, that's, the convention has been that it's just always a racing so incident. I think but... there are seven different turns throughout all of the courses where <laughs> there's there's a runoff area that you can ride through instead of completing the turn. Because they're just common places that this happens but there's only like seven of them um yeah i don't know maybe that's something like runoff areas and long laps maybe we'll see more of those pop up in the future but mm. i it, it's also like i i don't want to remove all the danger from racing that's I'm just saying maybe you I mean, can't. I don't want it to be blood sports, but it is racing. I'm just saying that maybe you shouldn't blindly cut back to the exit line after you completely flub it when you're blind moving into it. I feel like there's probably just a mirror that the bike could be equipped with as well. They wouldn't use it. <laughs> No, I, I don't know. It, it's one of those things that, like, I know that this is, like, and even when I was thinking it, like, I know that, like, this kind of crash is always consistently ruled a racing incident. It never feel, feels right to me, though. In any case. I think the, it just looks wrong, and it's something that races have accepted for a long time. Yeah. In any case, the crash was fucking crazy, because he did this, the whole bike just kind of spun in place. Like it, it kept going forward, but just kind of spun. It looked like he line. was trying to do like some sort of move from Tony Hawk's pro skater with the bike. <laughs> like it, it was so strange that the bike just whipped in this circle around him, but also spun him around as well. It mm. was very odd. It like, uh, like my, my heart jumped up into my throat. I was like, he is going to get ripped in half by this motorcycle. Holy, oh my God. And then somehow he was okay. But when he hit the ground, he was just still, I was like, Whoa, it wasn't until I saw him walking away. I was like, okay, jeez. Uh, but that was not my favorite crash. Uh, who, who was it that crashed? And came up and slapped the other dude's helmet. Um, uh, oh, I'm not sure. Was that in Moto Two or Moto Three? I can't remember. It was. It was two names that we know. Um, I thought that was at the beginning of Moto Two, but it might have been in Moto Three. But yeah, someone took out somebody else, which was which they definitely got a penalty for. Um, 
they came up behind someone else who had a right to a line and just straight up dug their tire like into their elbow and took him out. And then when they met together on the side, he walked up behind the other dude and just smacked him his, his helmet as hard as he could and just gave him this look like, what the fuck is your problem? <laughs> oh God. I got to Google this. It was, why can I not remember who it was? Cause it was two names that we know. Um, one two helmet slap. What is this going to give us? Um, anyway, uh, it doesn't seem to show me. Oh, I'm just getting a bunch of Chris Rock bullshit. Fuck. This is why people need to stick to the topics of their podcasts and not talk about politics. All right. I don't know. It doesn't matter. We'll have mm-hmm. it for next time. But, but one thing we should call out is that we did get an actually good Moto 3 race. We did. And on a course with a lot of straights as well. Um, yeah, it was it was competitive. There wasn't any there wasn't a whole ton of slipstreaming clownery. It was um it was good. Um I I, I again I see um I know he didn't he didn't uh win but I mean um I don't know I still I still like Foggia for this season. Like even when he's off, he's not that far off. Um I like um and, and who's who's uh the other guy who's who's um oh gosh the Moto three names are always Sergio anyway. Garcia? Yeah, Garcia. It, it's definitely between those two. It's it's already heating up. That's the. I I know it's only been three races, but I can see the season heating up between Garcia and Foggia. Mm. Right. I'm 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 definitely rooting for Garcia at this point. He he had a great season last year. He's you know he's 19 years old. He seems like he's really kind of pulling it together. And I don't know. I think he's a good developing talent. He would have won last year if not for Acosta. Uh, yeah, I'm rooting for him. Okay. Um, let's see here. Uh, we did not have, um, the 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 overexposed Brit in this race, which made it nice. Uh, John McPhee was out on this one, um, which reminds me, who is our new? What's the name of the new GP commentator? I haven't looked this up yet. Um, I have no idea. I only know the names of that appear on the screen. Well, it's just been so long that a brand new. Um, so Steve Day left, which I'm, I mean, Steve Day wasn't bad, but I've just listened to Steve Day for so many years that I've just heard every one of his little jokes and, and turns of phrases so many times listening to races. I was ready for someone else. And this new guy, I'll find his name in a minute here. Um, it's not, um, uh, it's not my 
so Nick Harris was the legendary guy that had been doing it forever. Nick Harris really needed to go. Was it Mapper? Anyway, this new dude, um, nice insights, like uh, relevant things to say. Um, uh, not annoying. You know, it's not like every time someone goes wide, he's like, oh, he'll need his passport to get back to the track. <laughs> you know, that bullshit. Like, I don't know. I just want to comment that, like, we're only three races in and I am not talking shit about this commentator. And I mean, even Simon Crafar, who we love now, had a shit first year. Right. It, he was not good. He was embarrassingly bad. He It took him a moment to for everyone to accept and embrace his style. And, and he was also trying to fill, um, really big shoes. Um, was it, um, Matt Davies or no, not Matt no. Dylan Gray, Dylan Gray, Dylan Gray was brilliant in the pits and him doing those, uh, GoPro laps before every race and all that. Like what a skill set, you know, being able to go through mm. all the turns and explain to everyone what was going on before. Like that, yeah, so, so valuable, so wonderful, huge, you know, I mean, I love Simon, though, just, just he brings something to the table that's so wonderful that, 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 you know, I'm, I'm okay with Dylan Gray not being there. But, you know, this new guy, we'll see. I still think we need somebody insane who doesn't, we need, if we were to replace anybody, I think I would go for, like, just Jorge Lorenzo as the English as one of the English speaking commentators. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's the commentating has been really good this year. Uh, I like it. Um, all right. Do we have anything else we wanted to cover? Um, hmm. I don't think so. I think we, we got a pretty good lock on it for right now. Um, it's, if anything, um, it, 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 I would have more insights, but it's too early in the season to really run away with that kind of stuff yet. Um, I, I love how even, like I said, everything is, is basically except for Dovi, uh, Marquez, Paul Espargo and Maverick Vinales it feels like anybody can win any race. I feel like we've just got like every bike, but the Honda is more or less evenly matched across like a Grassini bike can win an Aprilia bike can win. I it's just, it, any racer, the, the, every, everybody on the grid is a race winner. It's, um, actually uh, is Polis Parker a race winner. I don't think so. I feel like he won one race last year or something. Uh, why can't I remember that stat? It doesn't matter. Anyway, yeah, we're almost at two hours. Let's cut this one short here. Next week, um, hopefully next week, I should have some... I want to start getting into some uh, Japanese motorcycle history. I've been reading up on a bunch of weird old motorcycle brands uh, from Japan, like pre-war and shit that people have forgotten about, like how the Japanese uh, bike industry came to be what it is. 
And I've got some stuff to go through on that. And I don't know. The only reason we won't do it next week is if you want to read up on all the same shit that I've been reading. But I think that's a good direction to go in for a while. I think we can kind of do another series on that, kind of like we did with Moto Music. And then we'll just sprinkle in news and GP episodes throughout that. And yeah, again, uh, I don't know. Remind everybody a Patreon exists. Um, and um, oh, yeah, I I was moving, so we had to take a break making progress on it. But the our app is finished and we're going to put it up soon. And I don't know, that'll just one of these weeks. You're just going to hear me say, hey, it's up and go to this address. All right. With that, let's just hit the outro. And yeah, we'll see everyone next week. So. And I don't want to die I just want to ride on my motorcycle mm-hmm, Cold 